0: The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision.
1: I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing and more. Don't be shy. I want to help. I want to talk money issues. So most people don't talk money issues, and I think it's something we should open up a little bit more about. I can tell you, I've got four brothers and a sister, and I don't know how any of them are doing financially. And my sister has a government husband, so there's going to be a pretty good government pension. I know she's got a teaching job, so there's going to be a decent teacher pension. I know she has a house, so she's kind of getting there. Um, I know a lot of people are coming out of college right now with $100,000 in debt and That's a lot of money. I kept my debt very, very well managed in college only because I was afraid not to. And then I had one of those eye-waking, eye-popping moments where a girlfriend told me that one of her friends is going bankrupt. I'm like, wait, wait, isn't she like 21, 22? Yeah. And she's filing for bankruptcy because she ran up $20,000 of credit cards and got a lot of new clothes and wardrobe for school. And the credit card companies kind of knew when she signed up that she could have been a problem because she probably didn't have a job or a high-paying job. So it's all statistics to credit card companies. They know they're going to get some losses. Um, it comes with the territory. But, you know, what's amazing about this person was she went bankrupt a second time later. And that offends me when you go bankrupt and you walk away with the clothes. I almost think you should have to, like, give everything back, right? It doesn't necessarily work like that. So, a 30 something with $100,000 in student debt, and you want to be, you're 30, you're like, I want to own a home. Rob bought a house in his 20s, I want to be like Rob. But you got $100,000 in debt, and I didn't. Obviously, there's a little things that you could do and should do first. Uh, I would pay off all debt over 6% as fast as I can, um, pay down debt as quickly as you can. So you should have retirement investments and you should have uh, income investments for your current life as well as your after work life. So I've got stocks that generate dividends and I just reinvest them in the companies. But my the wealthy get wealthier. Right. And we even saw like with Felicity Huffman and Lori Loughlin cheating to get their kids into school. They're wealthy. They get to a better school to do. They're probably going to get a better job than you. And that's just the way it is. What's interesting about all this it, to me is that um, I went to college. I went to grad school and I went to high school and no one has ever asked me my grades. Isn't it funny that we have to cheat to get into college and then no one even asks you your grades ever again anyway? So having $100,000 in debt and you want to feel financially secure by not always be paying that debt, paying that debt, paying that debt. You want to like get some stocks and bonds that pay you income. You want to get some money put aside so that you, can, you know, put a down payment on a house. So if you're 30 and you have $100,000 and you're thinking about a house, you also have to start thinking about some other things. Um, I know a 25-year-old right now that you know he's living with mom. Um, I don't know if he's ever going to get married. That's going to cost some money. I don't know if he's ever going to settle down and make little babies. That's going to cost more money. He's probably thinking, how do I pay my rent right now? More so than, can I buy a house? Homes in the San Francisco Bay Area, the median home price is about 773000 right now. Um, so a 10% down payment on that is, ding, ding, ding $77,000. A mortgage on that would be about $3,800 a month. So it's not the easiest thing for young people like, crack the financial code Uh, but i could tell you the wealthy get wealthier it's like i did that survey a little bit earlier in the show from fidelity where they talked about what percentage of americans have nothing saved at all and how many americans have really small amounts saved for being 50 plus years old Um, inside that study there's some research that basically says also If you do have money invested in 401ks and you're on track, you probably have money in a house that you can take equity out later. You probably have some side investments that you can cash in if you need to. You know, I own Apple in a regular account. I own Apple in a retirement account. Um, Do you own any Apple? So I own it twice. I I could dip from one or the other, or I could dip from my house, or I could dip from other assets. Most financial experts want you to have six times your salary by age 50. I want you to have... 10 to 20 times your salary by the time you quit. The reason I'm working right now is because I want to show my kids a work ethic. Uh, We all have different reasons for getting up and going to work. Plus, it ain't cheap living in California. So throw that out there, right? I am seeing people come up with creative ways of retiring. So far, I think my two favorite are these are both pretty religious people. and They both want to go to, I want to say, third world country, but I think that's not politically correct right now going to smaller countries less economically developed countries and uh kind of crafting their religion and some business into living in like guatemala and belize in retirement so i, I if that's your thing that's your thing see I, my thing is i want to retire i just don't know what i want to do sometimes I, I kid and i say i want to be a dog trainer because dog trainers are ridiculously expensive and i would be the guy who undercuts all other dog trainers because i think kids should have dogs i know you're saying what's wrong with you I know, right? I think way too much. Eight hundred five one six twelve twenty. Get your calls on the air. Boeing's trying to recover some of its weeks steeply losses. Is that a type of investment that you want to make? Worst case scenario on Boeing, they have to recall all the planes. That would be brutal. They have to ground all the planes, and now we're starting to see countries are asking Boeing for reparations for the death of their citizens. So it can get worse. But it's an interesting time to buy because when you save twenty seven, twenty eight billion dollars off a of market cap, and not a lot of demand has changed for your product, it could be that that entry that you want. But again, are you are you both comfortable with both scenarios that this passes and you made a great investment, or that it gets worse and you got in and you caught a falling knife? Semiconductor stocks are doing quite well this week, and that was because of some mergers and acquisitions. The stock market's doing well. Uh, Facebook, Amazon, Alphabet, Apple, all trading higher today. The move in tech feels like people are starting to sniff out that things are okay. Uh, Is the worst behind? As far as headlines, Facebook couldn't have had a worse 2018 as far as PR goes. But man, their fundamentals are solid. Apple has so much cash and uh, they could buy back shares to show earnings per share growth. They could buy major acquisitions. Uh, Supposedly, I have a little bit more on this, but I'll save it for another day. Their video services expected to be a big, big hit that they're announcing late in March. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Don't forget, big seminar coming up in Burlingame on the 21st. Use code radio25 to get in for free. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I want to take a minute and say thank you for listening. The only thing that I, I don't want to get too sentimental. I appreciate it. And um, I pledge that if you listen, I'll do my best to find ideas for you to invest in or to think about. You know, The obvious one today is the Boeing 737 Max Planes. And the FAA says there's no basis to ground Boeing planes. If two airlines lost the same plane, which is a new plane, in a relatively short time frame, could things go from bad to worse for Boeing? Yeah. If what they're saying, they're presenting the data, is, like, it's safe if you know what, you're, if it's safe if you, like, check in with all the systems. They're going to do a system update uh patch which kind of makes you a little nervous like uh, maybe i'll maybe i'll wait fine until after that patch comes out um it also tells you how complicated these things are right but there's your investment dilemma 29 billion dollars in lost market value is probably too much but and you know the world population is growing so we're going to be using more airplanes in the future worthy of note um there's really only two or three people who can make airplanes as because they are complicated machines and that's why you're seeing like the european union they get together and say hey france you want to do the jet engines and germany you want to do the 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 cabins and who wants to do the flight systems and you know they kind of divvied it up amongst the different countries to compete with boeing so here's the civil war do you think it's done going down do you think another plane goes down if no more planes go down boeing goes way higher and it was a cheap uh it was cheap for a couple moments in history now again are you going to invest in another plane going down or not? And interestingly, when a plane does go down, does that make you a little bit nervous about owning a stock like a Boeing? If it's Airbus, you like, oh, that's good. That's good. That's good for me. <laughs> you're like, that's kind of insensitive to the people who were lost. Anyway, one person in financial media was actually lost in one of the big airplanes. and I had a client lost on 9-11, went into the Pentagon, um, and I had to write a letter to the, you know, the, the surviving wife and family about what a great guy Chuck was. But that's neither here nor there. Healthcare is going digital. And more and more, it's kind of like, we got, let's put music on digital. Let's put movies on digital. You know, remember the day when you actually had to go to the store and buy a DVD? It seems barbaric, doesn't it? And yet you go to your doctor's office and they have these big old folders. You're like, man, I'd like to get my hands on all those folders. Uh, Everything's going digital now, finally. So virtualization hasn't, healthcare and virtualization haven't kept up with each other. Of the approximately 1.4 billion annual encounters between a healthcare provider and a patient, all but roughly 10 million still occur in an office or a physical setting. That should start to change. There's a big story in, uh, out of Fremont recently that a, a robot uh, delivered the news that a patient was dying. A little bit too loud to his wife, but the guy got to hear from it through the robot. And it was a doctor with a uh, you know, a video conferencing head. And my dad, 24. Gosh, I would say probably 25 years ago. I was in the hospital dying. He was at Walter Reed at one point in time. And uh, that was the first time I saw robots deliver medicines to a hospital. Now it's probably pretty common. I'm not in hospitals very often, mind you, but um, it's going to create a crazy amount of investment. The system is far from perfect right now. Doctors' visits are expensive, they're time consuming. Also, you have to sit next to sick people. You're trying not to be sick. So something if there's 1.4 billion annual encounters, how many of those can Google move online? And the answer is at least 400, 450 million of them. So it's not being done that way because a lot of people don't know it's an option or the reimbursement for the providers isn't in place at this point in time. But we're moving more towards virtual virtualization. TeleDoc Health is a stock, ticker symbol T-D-O-C. They see opportunity. Now, again, this is so early. It's a story stock, and I tell it so well, don't I? Well, Forrest, the $4.2 billion market cap company, is a leader in virtual telehealth. It expects to have roughly 38 million members, leading 4 million virtual visits on its global platform this year. It has partnerships with over 12,000 health plans. Self insured employers and hospitals. The network includes more than 50,000 board certified doctors. It's a, it's a flat fee, $45 per visit. Teledoc provides its members around the clock with on demand appointments via voice or video chat. Physicians address everything from common cold and flu symptoms to backache, skin infections, depression, and addiction. Doctors can prescribe medicines and send them to a patient's local pharmacy. So it seems like it's fallen in place, right? But it's so young and it's so early. And then you hear in the background like Amazon and Warren Buffett are doing something to disrupt the health insurance industry. And you're like, well, Teladoc is there. Maybe they get acquired. They receive a monthly fee for about two thirds of its members paid by the health insurance providers like and employers who view the service as an employee benefit and a cost saving versus a traditional doctor's office. So Teladoc did $418 million in revenue in 2018. And you're talking about an industry uh, that's still growing. It's going to be a $4.2 billion industry, it's expected. So, and they're one of the leaders. Now, the company hasn't made money yet. Teladoc is taking its cues more from leading digital players than traditional healthcare companies. They're using search and social media advertising. They're using detailed patient testimonials. But they're still reporting things in EBITDA. And EBITDA is kind of evil. It says, this is what we would have earned if we didn't have to. It's earnings for interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. But you got to do all that stuff. You got to pay that kind of stuff. So, they say they will be a... EBITDA of $147 million profit in 2021, 295 profit in 2023. Um, and then they expect to be profitable in 2022 overall without the interest tax depreciation amortization card. Teledoc is negotiating with United Healthcare to offer telehealth as a benefit in some of its plans. They have a partnership with CVS Health to incorporate Teledoc's platform into its app, gradually rolling out during 2019. Um, what do you think? Company trades for about seven times 2019 sales at multiples high. There's still valuation upside based on growth and revenue, growth in clients, acceptance of a platform. It's your stock of the day idea. Consult a broker advisor for taking action any stocks mentioned on this show. Uh, Teladoc, ticker symbol T-D-O-C. Got a big seminar coming up on the 21st. You can learn more by going to robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com or just robblack.com. We'll reroute you there. Um, early game income and tax planning seminar retirement for people who are cruising towards retirement or in retirement. Sign up at Rob Black's show. It's on the 21st in Burlingame, right around the corner. Use code RADIO25. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and your money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. And streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Looking forward to to Tim Burton's Dumbo. Um, How Tim Burton got together with Disney to remake a film is beyond my my fathomable skill set because he's so creative and disney's so conservative with their image it's actually probably a perfect fit right imagine if you're a rich parent right now and you got dumb kids how do you what do you do how do you get them into school yeah obviously you're seeing it you pay a surrogate test taker to pump up the sat scores you bribe a tennis coach to sponsor the kid for some kind of loophole student athlete admission you might end up paying 10 times the regular tuition and bribes and fees but hey you're sending junior up for you know, a better college experience. It's interesting about like some of this is um, I think we all kind of, we're okay with people with, you know, special needs getting kind of loopholes into college. We're okay with people, low income getting loopholes into college. We're okay. Thinking like, Hey, if daddy donated $10 million and built a building, we're okay with their son getting into college or even, uh, you know, long lines of family. We can kind of, well. His granddaddy went to the University of Texas, and his daddy's daddy went to Texas, and his daddy went to Texas, and so Junior should go to Texas. There, I get it. I get, but when you when you kind of get this secret cabal of people um, manipulating the system, it does it does smack of unfair. And Lori Lachlan's on Four House on Netflix, and they've done the Netflix reboot of Four House, right? Uh, or I'm wondering, can she, can they turn this story? into an episode of fuller house because i would watch that if the fbi raided her house fuller house with guns a blazing because of tax evasion issues which was another thing inside the story that they did that kind of was gross they set up a charity to kind of launder the money and uh not pay taxes on it so there you got it i'm Rob like talking all things financial let's bring in cfp chad burton talk a little financial planning chad Welcome in, CFP Chad Burton. Chad, I get a lot of emails, a lot of phone calls on the confusion Chad? that is mutual funds, exchange-traded funds, no-load funds, ETFs, A shares, B shares, C shares. Let's demystify a little bit. What do we need to know?
2: Well, it's gotten harder because as fee-based financial planning has come into play, and that's where what most people want to end up with because of the fiduciary aspect of it, Knowing what you're paying for is important. So when people have A, B, C, there's even Z-Share mutual funds out there. You What's gotta a Z-Share? What uh, these C and Z-Shares are kind of like these quasi-fee-based programs. So when, when advisors want to be fee-based, but they can't do it because of the current company that they work with, or they don't have the right licensing or whatever, they might use C-Share or Z-Share funds, which they look like they're no-load because you don't pay anything to get into them, but right. their internal fees are often higher. Um, and they often have kickback issues um, to the firms that you work with. So, you know, if you have an A-share, a B-share, a C-share, a Z-share mutual fund, you're not in a no-load fund. You're in a loaded fund environment. A-shares, you pay large sales charges up front in exchange for lower ongoing fees. So, if you're investing less than 100000 a lot of times the front-end load's on an A-share, 5.75%. You've got to get well more than that just to break even. Um, in a B share mutual fund, you don't pay anything going in, but your your money's often tied up right. for five to six years, and your fees are higher for five to six years, and then they eventually the fee structure drops down. So um, again, it's usually you end up paying more in a B share, so I don't really like them. Okay, C shares they're even higher than a B share in many cases, but the fees never drop, and they just pay the broker one percent every year. Um, and the problem with those ABC share and Z share funds is is you're tied to the fund family. Right. So if you want to go from large-cap growth to a large-cap value, you can only do it inside that fund family. You can't go outside of it without getting tied up again or paying another commission. So it's just not the right way to go. You want to be in the no-load fund environment or ETF environment that's out there. So typically, I tell people, you don't want to be in American funds. That's a fund family. You'd
1: rather buy your funds at Fidelity or Vanguard or TD Ameritrade, where they're such big-volume houses, their fees are lower than anywhere else. Is that a statement that is wise, or or am I
2: typically like when it comes to American funds? Though that's it's been a pretty successful fund company, Um, and they actually now have a share class for fee based advisors called F shares. So you might see an F share fund pick. Um, I've used a fund in the past. I don't own any right now, but yeah, I mean you can go if you if you want to know what is truly a no load. You can look at um, say a TD Ameritrade or a Schwab's website and see what the no transaction no load funds are that are there. And you can see that they have no uh, front-end sales charge and no deferred sales charge. That way, you know you're in a no-load fund. But look, Rob. I mean, what most people should be doing for their first hundred to two hundred fifty thousand is just looking at total stock market index funds and no load. Like Wilshire five thousand. Um, Wilshire five thousand is the whole market, right? But just um, there's like Vanguard has the Vipers. That's total stock market funds on both the international and domestic side, um, the no-load fund side, and, and you can go in and. And get ETFs, which are exchange-traded funds, which are mutual funds that trade like stocks. Right. So, you can look at the indexes. The internal fees are only about 0.08% per year. Extremely, extremely low cost. And there's a whole, you know, like a TD Ameritrade, for example, there's 100 different ETFs you can buy without even a trading cost. So, getting being able to invest in those types of funds is getting cheaper and cheaper.
1: Which is great, because that's one of the hindrances to performance. Mm-hmm. Is uh, making mistakes absolutely will hinder your performance, but cost will hinder your performance. So you can eliminate one of the variables that will hurt you
2: and try to go with as low fees as possible. As far as the transactions and the funds you're choosing, right, and that's why I say that you know indexing. I like both indexed and managed funds and individual stocks. But the way I tell people to start out is start off with the indexed approach because it's the lowest cost, the lowest tax issues that that you're going to deal with, and especially when you're investing mostly in equities when you're younger and you don't need the bonds. As people get older, though, we worry about downside protection as much as upside potential. Right. So you can't just be in index funds, in my opinion, when you retire. With that said, you work for New Focus Financial, and people could find you at newfocusfinancial.com. we got about a minute left in conversation time. Is there anything else that we need to know about? Well, I guess where you look for the different types of funds, um, where I use my index funds and my index ETFs are for my large cap and my mid-cap areas. Yeah. But if I'm going international, emerging markets, I typically like to really do dig in, do the research, and find managed mutual funds. So, for example, you look at Japanese stock market right now, and it's drastically underperformed the U.S. stock market. They have debt issues, they have an aging population, but there's specific companies in in Japan that are doing very well. So, you don't want just necessarily an index fund there. You'd want a, a manage a manager with boots on the ground in that country. They know the currency issues. Um, same thing with China, Indonesia. Uh, you know, all the different places where emerging markets are, where, you know, two thirds of the economic growth probably over the next two, two decades is going to come from.
1: Well, that about clears everything up in my mind. I'm not sure about it in everyone's mind. <laughs> a shares, B shares, C shares, which one should we choose? I think we hit an all there. I'm Rob Black. That's Chad Burton. You can find Chad Burton at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And taking a look at some of the fidelity investment analysis really reminds me to remind you, get your act together when it comes to retirement issues. We are way behind in saving. About 29% of households with members aged 55 and over have neither retirement savings, such as 401ks, IRAs, defined benefit plans. Um, Some have a defined benefit plan, like 23%, but no other retirement savings. Households that do have retirement savings generally have other resources to draw on as well, such as non-retirement savings and DB plans to find benefit. You should have at least seven times your salary by age 55, six times your salary by age 50. Otherwise, you're probably going to be working until the day you die. That's just something to really start you know, playing around with. And those are kind of on the conservative side. I like to factor out retirement issues with a lot of wiggle room. I'd rather die with extra money in my pocket than to turn 92 and go, how much is toilet paper? I'll just use leaves, right? You want to have the option of not using leaves as toilet paper. 92, heck, I'll be happy if I can poop in a diaper. I'd be ecstatic. Some might need $100,000 a year to live in retirement. Some people might need 200000 So as an expert, I can tell you, you need a nest, uh, nest egg of $1 to $2 million, but it's kind of inaccurate because I don't know how much you're going to spend in retirement. $1 million in a nest egg is going to pay you about $40,000 a year, maybe. But again, that doesn't factor in taxes and other things. Now, I could be optimistic and say a $1 million will pay you $60,000 a year until the day you die. But I don't want to get you... I'd rather get you a, a little fearful than a little greedy. I'd rather you start sooner rather than later. You also have to factor in infl- inflation. A $1 million today, you know, it's just like that, that scene from... Um, the, I'm trying to think of his name. Why am I not coming up with his name? The, uh, the spy who shagged me. The spy who shagged me. Why am I not coming up with it? Uh, anyway, when the Doctor Evil comes back, he becomes unfrozen. He uh, he demands one million dollars not to blow up the world, and everyone started laughing at him because like inflation in the thirty forty years that he was asleep in cryogenics or whatever, he didn't factor that in. So now he had to change his demand from a million to a billion, or a billion to a trillion. Same thing's going to happen with your retirement needs. You're going you're to underestimate them. You're going to underwhelm yourself. So you've got to throw in inflation in there. Factor it in. How much will your purchasing power on things you want to do decline? Find me online at Rob Black Show. Big seminar coming up in Burlingame on the 21st. Use code RADIO25 25, 25 to get in. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. 2020 is right around the corner. It's going to be an election cycle. You don't have to do anything today with your portfolio, but you need to start thinking about how you want it positioned. Politicians tend to throw a lot of bluster and rhetoric out. Blah, 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 blah. Robble, 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 robble right? They're just robbling. So Amazon is going to be, I think, an, uh, a target of politicians forevermore, but especially during the political cycles there's something a word that i learned speaking of sat test one of the words that was on my sat test was disenfranchised or disenfranchised it's one of the longest words in the united states english dictionary right and it basically talks about how a whole generation become disenfranchised and when you get that it's, it's kind of awesome as a politician you go Old people vote for me. Well, no one's really interested. Okay, old people, I'm going to lower the cost of drugs in in retirement. Okay, I'll vote for you. Okay, okay, I'll let you. I'm disenfranchised from the, the healthcare system. I'm old. Then you get the the younger kids who you know they don't know the big fancy SAT words, and they decided math was too much for them. They get a degree in poetry, and they're disenfranchised because they, they they're living with mom and dad, or sometimes you know. Worst situations along those lines. I grew up in an era where the first thing I wanted to do was get out of the house. First thing. Second thing was college kind of thing. I had a brother David take me to college when I was in ninth grade and show me like parties and stuff and pretty girls. And I was like, yeah, I want to go to college for for sure. So it was a good big brother thing. Kind of sold it, if you know what I'm saying. Amazon I want to talk about because there's going to be two groups that I know are going to be in the politicians' crosshairs. One of them is going to be the fang stocks, Facebook, Amazon, Alphabet, Netflix, maybe Apple in there. And uh, then the next group, you know, the, those guys are the privacy guys. Oh, we got to break them up. They're too big. They're too big. They're squashing innovation. You think, you think Apple's squashing innovation? They're spending an enormous amount of money on R&D, more than any other company, more than most companies make in revenue, right? Is that squashing innovation, or are they just kind of like keeping it in their own little world? They probably have two or three more phones planned out that are going to do something with all that R&D money. Rumor has it, just you know, Apple's looking into launching some sort of glasses in 2020. So that'll be a story for the rest of the year. But politicians are going to go after one more group. The big pharmaceutical companies, the Merck's, the Pfizer's, the Lilly's. They're going to go after the Facebooks, the Amazons, the Alphabets, the Netflix, the Googles. Um, to get the younger people who are disenfranchised with the workforce and the big companies, and they're going to go after pharmaceutical companies to get the the older voters out and go after the high cost of the healthcare. Now, how do they get Generation X out? Maybe I don't know. What are they going to offer me? A discount on my house, mortgage tax deductions. What are they going to give me? That's who I'll vote for. And sadly, that's how most Americans vote. I, I know Californians aren't most Americans. California has a two-party system, unlike the United States. They've got Democrats and they got liberals. And the liberals hate the Democrats, and the Democrats hate the liberals, but don't even bring up Republicans. You've got to get in the middle of the state before you even bring that up. So the rest of the United States have a two-party system, Republicans and Democrats. But uh, we don't so much. But Amazon's in the news, and I kind of want to sh- highlight how powerful they are. They've got 12 plus brands right now that pull in a billion dollars in sales. Now think about that for just a second. So you, you look at something like Levi's and you go, okay, okay. Amazon's got a, you know, a jean company. Today they're announcing a new beauty brand. And then how does that, then Levi's tries to sell on their platform, the Amazon platform. And you can just kind of see where it gets kind of messy. If someone just types in jeans, which one comes up, the Amazon brand or the, the Levi's brand? Um so and then Costco, you know, they got that whole Kirkland thing going on, so that brand where it's just the private label. So Amazon's featuring a new beauty brand that exclusively is sold on their marketplace. It reportedly is the, is the first beauty product to hit the market from Amazon's brand accelerator program. Amazon is increasingly making making moves into health, wellness and beauty industries, you know, uh the beauty industry is not going to go away. A Couple reasons why. We need to wash our face, right? Um We're getting older, so we need to moisturize our face. Um, Someone said some horrible, horrible things about actors and actresses recently who are not aging quite well. And I just thought of, like, hey, Amazon's got something in here going on. So Fast Beauty Company is reportedly the first beauty brand to hit the marketplace from Amazon's brand accelerator. Amazon also sells toilet paper. Its own line of toilet paper is called Presto Toilet Paper. Now, they're also going to be selling and delivering your prescriptions with PillPack. At some point in time, we don't know all the details about it. Do they acquire the company for the technology? Or do they acquire the company for the business model? Um, Amazon's pretty powerful. When you start talking about if they were to spin off their own private labels and be like a clothing company, that's what the European Union is going to be looking at with them. You know, um, how much of their own product they have versus how much uh, problem it is to resell other people's products on their platform. Who gets preference? Is it competitive or not? So... These are the days of our lives. Learn more about your retirement nest egg issues by coming to the big event on the 21st. It's a Thursday event, 630 to 830. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. It's in Burlingame, 21st of this month. You can sign up at Rob Black's show and use the code radio25.